The Truth News Network. This is TNN. The Truth News Network. And we deal in facts. Here's one. You might want to write this one down. You can't comply your way to freedom. That's how prisons work. Seeing the picture? Here's someone who can make it clearer. His name is Dan Newman. We all live in the United States of America. Well, not all of us. We have listeners all around the world. I get that. But we here in the United States of America, we have for far too long taken for granted that everything is going to be structured according to the law. After all, every person that serves in any slot in the United States government takes an oath of office. And every oath of office requires that person to swear an oath to the United States Constitution to say, I'm going to uphold all of the elements contained within the U.S. Constitution in service to the American people. And I'm paraphrasing what those oaths contain, but they all have the substance the same. It's interesting to me that Pete Moss put together that introduction talking about you can't force compliance. You can't. If you are living in an area, living in an Uh, a zone, a region, an environment in which forced compliance is what is not only acceptable, but it's mandatory. The only place in the United States of America where you find that is in prison. Well, 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 good morning, everybody. (laughs) On that heavy, heavy note, welcome to a brand new week here at TNN Live. Thank you so much for joining us. This is going to be a very special and a very important week because of what's going on across the pond to the east. And that, of course, is the death of Elizabeth II and um, all of the, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's honor. It all falls under the blanket of honor. And I got to say this going into the show today. Many people, many young people, would be or will be tempted to diminish the honor that's being bestowed on Queen Elizabeth. And um, I, I get that. I get that. But let me just say this. We used to live in a world where honor was bestowed on anybody and everyone who was worthy of honor. And now it doesn't seem that there's any spirit of, um, somebody gets what they deserve in the way of consideration, thanks, and honor for all the things that they did. But even more importantly, and here's how I think we've missed it here in the United States of America, receiving honor because of who they are. Now you think about that in the context of what we face in our nation today, not the U.K., not what's going on in Scotland right now, as the Queen's body is very much in full honor being transported very slowly slowly to London and going through the UK countryside to get there, to let every person in that nation give honor to Queen Elizabeth after her death. 
I think we miss honor from the top to the bottom here in the United States and the importance of honor. You can't force someone to honor someone else. Now, you can make them show the signs, but you can't force someone to hold any feelings, any sense of, you know, I need to do this just because of who this person is. It can't be done. It's a voluntary thing. People, just like people, are taught to be racist. People are taught how and why to bestow honor on others. I look back at my, I guess my generation. I'm a baby boomer born in 1953. I know, I'm an old guy. But my parents taught me what honor was. They showed me through their life and how they looked at others with honor and bestowed honor on others. They taught me, first of all, what honor is, and they taught me who deserves honor and why, and then demanded that I give honor where honor is due. We've lost that entire environment. Now, Nobody honors anybody just because they are supposed to honor them. They come up with a whole list of reasons. If you do this, 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 and this, and don't do this, then I'm going to think about honoring you. But it's all up to me. You can't make me honor anybody, and that's factual. You can't. But what you can do and what you should do is teach those who you're in charge of. They're in your charge. You're teaching them. You're training them. Training them on what honor is and how to use it. If we don't come away anything uh, this week, but understanding a little bit more about honor, I think this will be a very important week, not just for us here in the United States, but for people around the world. People in the UK, if you can't say anything else nice about them, you can say this. They understand. They get that part of it. And I tell you what it does. It prevents having some really negative and bad things happen in other parts of your life. When you know how to honor and you know who to honor and you bestow that honor. So much for the royals in the UK. And uh, so much for the honor thing this morning. Much of what we're going to speak about this morning, you'll be able to put it in the context of what's going on in the UK, honor. And one of the things we're going to talk about is what the D.C. mayor, Muriel Bowser, is in, in, uh, in her own way, is doing exactly the opposite of that. Um, and others, as a matter of fact. A lot of things to talk about. A lot of things are being unearthed across the United States and the world that are very, very important. And with all of the stuff that's front and center in the news, it's very easy to lose some very important things. So we're going to try to make sure that we at least highlight the big important things so you don't miss any of them. And I mentioned Mayor Muriel Bowser in Washington, D.C., other stuff happening in the lives of uh, world leaders, uh, the mayor of New York City, the mayor of Chicago, 
the governor of Illinois and what they are doing. And it has to do not so much with honoring people, but honoring the rule of law. Now let's start with the mayor of D.C. She has declared a public emergency in Washington, D.C. because of the influx of illegals that are arriving in her city from Texas and Arizona by bus. Her emergency declaration is going to allow for further further funding. It's all about money, right? To be allocated to handling these migrants. And it's going to lead to the founding of the Office of Migrant Services, the OMS. Now, what's it going to do? It'll be responsible for finding and providing temporary accommodations, urgent medical care, necessary transportation, and services. Now, what's the big hoo-ha? Why should she declare a public emergency right now? It's because of illegals coming into her city. Well, these illegals have been pouring across the southern border of the United States for years now, especially the last year and a half or so. Why is she and why is the governor of Illinois, the mayor of Chicago, the mayor of Washington, D.C., excuse me, New York City, why are they all just now talking about the horrors of these illegal immigrants flooding across our southern border. It's because they aren't looking at the rule of law as they swore their oath to when each of them took office. They didn't just swear to enforce the laws of Washington, D.C., in the case of Mayor Muriel Bowser, nor did the mayor of New York City Did he swear an oath that he was going to protect and defend and enforce the laws regarding illegal immigration and every other thing just in his city? Nor Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, she didn't either, nor did the governor of Illinois. But yet every one of them have thumbed their noses at the rule of law in their cities and states until It slaps them in the face. Bowser said last Thursday that this new framework structured, you know, to make sure these people are taken care of, it's going to help them organize their responses better. It'll also include a program that is going to be responsible for meeting the buses, helping migrants in the most humane, efficient, and welcoming way. But then... She switched gears. She criticized the lacking federal response and said that the District of Columbia would continue to work hard to ensure that its systems can handle the migration crisis. Now, where's this all coming from? Well, they're, every one of them who I mentioned, they're all pointing their fingers at Texas. Oh, my gosh, these crazy people down there in Texas. They're just... With no regard, they're not even calling and talking to us on the phone. Now, put it in the context of New York City has declared itself a sanctuary city for migrants. Chicago has declared itself a sanctuary city. The state of Illinois has declared itself as a place of sanctuary 
for illegal immigrants, as has New York State. So what's changed? Washington, D.C., the same thing. Because for the first time, they're seeing something that they did not expect they would see. They thought it was going to happen 1,000, 1,500 miles away on the border of Texas alone. Now remember this, two things we, we, we need to understand any conversations that we have about illegal immigrants. Number one, the federal government is charged with anything and everything to do with immigration law, period. Texas doesn't have the right to get in the way. Arizona doesn't. New Mexico, California, nor does New York City, New York State, nor does Chicago, nor Illinois, nor the District of Columbia. They're supposed to, and they all swore an oath of office, to support, protect, and defend the Constitution and all duly passed immigration laws. The only place in the states that wants to do that is in these border states. California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. Everybody else, it's not impacting them, so you just take care of it, you evil Texans. Texas Governor Greg Abbott, he's bussed hundreds of border crossers to D.C., New York, and now in Chicago. His argument for this was that resources in these border cities were stretched thin. And it's time for Washington, D.C. and New York City and Chicago to understand the reality of the border crisis. New York City Mayor Eric Adams, he sent a delegation to meet with border officials in Eagle Pass down in Texas to verify the situation. Novel idea. Instead of standing in front of microphones and TV cameras for months, pontificating about how accepting we are. New York City is the melting pot of the world. We've always, we've got it on the Statue of Liberty, welcoming all these people from foreign countries until they start coming. And then when they start coming, oh my gosh, we can't do that. We shouldn't be responsible for that. They never once said anything positive about Governor Greg Abbott down in Texas, they never once bothered to even go check it out. Our president, our vice president, they haven't gone to the southern border to see all of this stuff, yet they sit in Washington, D.C., a block or two away from Mayor Muriel Bowser in Washington, D.C., doing nothing but pontificating, certainly not enforcing the rule of law, the federal immigration laws, in fact, every day, our president, our vice president, our secretary of Homeland Security, our attorney general, all of those I just mentioned, plus many, many more, they're thumbing their nose at the Constitution. They're thumbing their nose at the rule of law, and they're thumbing their nose at the oaths of office that they swore to their people they were going to enforce. Governor Abbott wrote in a New York Post op-ed that Mayor Eric Adams previously called New York a sanctuary city and that talk is cheap. So it was time for them to understand what these migration policies were causing. I think this is absolutely hilarious to watch it play out. Americans in the heartland 
Let me tell you, we don't really understand or give a hoot about very much until it gets in our faces. I mean, look, look over your shoulder. Look what happened behind us. Look what happened before me, before most of you. People are having a sleepy Sunday doing what Americans do on Sunday, whatever it is, many going to church, many going to visit places, many going to the golf course, many sleeping in. And all of a sudden, a fleet of planes slipped in over Hawaii, and they just started World War II for us, part two, because we were already in Europe, fighting Hitler. You just never know, folks. You just never know. That's why when you prepare things, when you agree on things, when you set up rules, you set up laws, they're duly passed by the people's representatives in towns and cities and states and, of course, in Congress. And then you have those in the executive branch, names we mentioned, the vice president, the president, the attorney general, the Secretary of Homeland Security, all of these people swore those oaths, put one hand on the Bible, the other end of the air, and said that they would do what they were supposed to do. And everybody knows what each one of them is supposed to do. Number one, keep the American people safe and keep opponents that want to do things to us that are unconstitutional themselves. Stop it from happening. Listen to this. Just look back for a few minutes. We're celebrating this past weekend, 21st anniversary of September 11th. Did you know of those 19 Islamic terrorists, 19 of seven of those who hijacked commercial planes on September 11th of 2001, killed nearly 3,000 Americans, they were in the United States, and you know why? They had visas. Oh my goodness, they came the right way, the legal way. They applied and our federal government, our Department of Immigration gave them visas. They made a commitment to abide by the rules of getting those visas, right? They broke the rules. Seven of the 19 overstayed their visas. Well, how could we let that happen? Well, it was thanks to a wide-open loophole. That loophole, by the way, continues to allow 685,000 other illegal aliens to stay here in the U.S. and they're living down the street from you, maybe next door. Seven of the 19, they overstayed their visas either before the attacks or at the time of the attacks. And despite our law requiring their detainment and potential deportation, not a, according to the law, not a single one was detained or deported. I won't even give you the names. Think about that. Mohammed Atad, he's just one of them. He hijacked the American Airlines Flight 11 flew the plane into the World Trade Center's North Tower. He had overstayed his visa, but was not deported. Otto was able to obtain a Florida's driver's license. 
despite being arrested months before for driving without a license. His name appeared on a terrorist watch list all the way back in January of 2001. And he was detained in the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, before returning to the U.S. to finish his job. He spearheaded the 9-11 attacks. We could go through every one of them, the 19. They all have a story just like that. Do you realize we're living in exactly what we were living in when they brought those Twin Towers down? Today, that same visa overstay loophole that was used by seven of those 9-11 terrorists, it remains wide open. And it's even larger than it was decades ago. In the Department of Homeland Security's latest report on that loophole alone, officials revealed that 685,000 illegals are in the U.S. after they overstayed their visas. DHS continues to have little to no resources for deporting visa overstays, despite those 9-11 commission calls for a rigorous biometric entry-exit system to track every visa holder here in the United States and whether or not they have left the country at their required date of departure. Here's a little two paragraphs from the commission, 9-11 commission report about this one thing. Quote, the president should direct the Department of Homeland Security to lead the effort to design a comprehensive screening system addressing common problems and setting common standards with system-wide goals in mind. And a second one, this is a second recommendation. The Department of Homeland Security, properly supported by the Congress, should complete, as quickly as possible, a biometric entry-exit screening system, including a single system for speeding qualified travelers. None of that's happening 21 years later. And if the DHS estimates there are 685,000 visa violators here in the United States, that probably means there's a million or two. We are surrounded, folks, in the United States of America with people that many cases we don't know where they came from. We don't know who they are. We don't know what's in their background. We don't know their illegal acts that they committed where they came from. We can't confirm biometrically in many cases who they are. And yet, what do we continue to do? What does Joe Biden, President Biden, continue to do at the hands of his Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas. Y'all just keep coming on in. Come on in. Come on in. We're going to take care of you. We're going to give you money. We're going to give you travel. We're going to pay for everything, give you housing, food. We'll give you health care. We'll give your kids educations. Just come on in. And oh, by the way, if you vote for us Democrats, we're going to keep you in the driver's seat. And what we're hoping to do, if you'll give us a majority in both houses of the Congress, we're going to give you citizenship 
and the right to vote, but you've got to vote for us. You've got to promise, raise your hand and say, if we give you all of that, you're going to give us your vote every time every Democrat runs. Does that sound like a stretch to you? (laughs) It doesn't to me. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, KSM, you've heard all about him. He's the mastermind behind the 9-11 Islamic terrorist attacks across the U.S. He was approved for a visa by our federal government just weeks before the attacks that killed those people. The 9-11 Commission report. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, KSM, the chief tactical planner and coordinator of the 9-11 attacks, was indicted in 1996 by federal authorities in the Southern District of New York, that would be Manhattan, for his role in earlier terrorist plots. Yet, KSM, as he is known, got a visa to visit the U.S. on July 23, 2001, six weeks before the 9-11 attacks. Now, he's not a Saudi citizen. We don't believe he was in Saudi Arabia at the time. He applied for a visa using a Saudi passport and an alias. He had someone else submit his application and a photo through the Visa Express program. There is no evidence that he ever used this visa to enter the United States. That's sentences directly from the 9-11 Commission report. How many KSMs are walking around the nation? How many of them are getting together, making plans to do whatever it is that they want to do? What would you do if you faced today or tomorrow another 9-11 type event, but it happened in your town? Just like Mayor Adams in Manhattan, Muriel Bowser in D.C., Lori Lightfoot in Chicago and everywhere else these people are being transported to, these illegal immigrants and these local officials, their eyes are being opened. They need to understand. You need to understand. We all need to understand what happened and why 9-11 happened. We are in a situation now where 10 times that could happen at the same time because of who is living among us illegally that our federal government let in here by doing what? Not enforcing the laws that the United States Congress passed and every person that's in this administration, every single one, has served in the past in some capacity when these laws were put in place and they're thumbing their nose at the very laws that many of them voted for years ago. Now, you want an updated 9-11 style report on what's happening there? The Department of Homeland Security Inspector General, he has issued a bombshell report that accuses our president and his administration of resettling Afghan nationals who were not fully vetted. And they're settling them all across the United States. 
So you know where this initiated. This is after our armed forces withdrawal from Afghanistan a year ago. Biden opened a, quote, humanitarian parole pipeline that has resettled more than 86,000 Afghans in American communities, many of who weren't even screened or even interviewed in person. Now this bombshell IG report shows that the Biden administration admitted or parole thousands of Afghans who were not fully vetted before their arrival in the U.S. and may pose a risk to national security as a result. What they're saying is, we don't have a clue who they are, where they are, what they're doing in their past, and what their plans are now. Most of them, we don't even know who they, where they are. The IG's report in part states this, we determined some information used to vet evacuees through U.S. government databases like names, dates of birth, ID numbers, travel document data. We determined it was inaccurate, incomplete, and in many cases missing. We also determined Customs and Border Patrol admitted or paroled evacuees who were not fully vetted into the United States. Now, we shouldn't make that a big deal. They do that every day at the southern border. They just thumb their noses, turn their backs, and wave them in. This IG report continued saying, We attribute DHS's challenges to not having, one, a list of Afghan evacuees who were unable to provide sufficient ID documents, two, a contingency plan to support similar emergency situations, and three, standardized policies. As a result, DHS may have admitted or paroled individuals into the U.S. who pose a risk to our security and the safety of local communities. One more paragraph. In January 2022, this is from the IG report, we issued Department of Homeland Security a notice of findings and recommendations document notifying the DHS of the urgent need to take action to address security risk of evacuees from Afghanistan who were admitted or paroled into the United States without sufficient ID to ensure proper screening and vetting. Now, what does DHS say? Well, according to DHS IG investigators, Biden's DHS, quote, did not always have critical data to properly screen, vet, or inspect Afghan evacuees arriving as part of the massive Afghan resettlement operation. You remember when many of us were raising the cries when all of this withdrawal was happening under the circumstances it did, and all of these Afghan people were getting on these jets, nobody knew who they were. We were insured by Joe Biden again and again and again. None of these people are getting into the United States. They're not flying from Kabul, Afghanistan to Washington, D.C. They're going to Yemen. And we have a partnership with the Yemeni government and they're going to an air base there and we are vetting every one of these people before they get back on a plane and come to the U.S. And nobody's getting in that we don't know about. They said that over and over and over again. And we sat here at TNN Live saying, they're lying, they're lying, they're lying. And Democrats are saying, there's no problem there. <laughs> Joe Biden he runs circles around the previous president and all kind of things. He's got this under control. 
And here we are today. Here we are today, just a little over a year later, and we, we got a pretty good idea that there are some Afghani, maybe not even Afghani people, men and women. Maybe they said they were from Afghanistan. Maybe they were from uh, the hills of Pakistan where ISIS has been working, never quit working. Maybe they're from Egypt. Maybe they're from Iran. I'm not saying any of them are, and I'm not trying to scare anybody to death, but I'm telling you, we are ripe. Right now, today, we are ripe for another major singular hit or maybe a group of dozens of hits. We may even be in the middle of experiencing it now at local levels, and so much crime is rampant around us, so much thumbing noses by people in law enforcement at the rule of law that they're not even telling us what's going on when they arrest people and who they're arresting and letting go. <laughs> we, may, we may be past the time already. Now, what's your president doing about this? He's got a plan. Oh my gosh. He's got a plan. He's surrounded with people that have plans. I don't think he knows about many of them, but all he needs to do every once in a while is just listen and he'll say, hey, I like that. Let's do it. Well, guess what he's doing today? He's looking to permanently resettle over 72,000 Afghans across our nation amid allegations of widespread vetting failures during the operation that brought us more than 86,000 over the last year. 72,000 of them. He wants to resettle them. He didn't say anything about the 14,000 other ones. So following our withdrawal, he opened a refugee pipeline. It allowed 72,550 Afghans to secure what he called humanitarian parole. And that means that many came without having to be screened or interviewed in person before they got here. In a funding package that was issued by the White House, Biden is looking to allow those more than 72,000 Afghans to adjust their parole status so that they can get green cards. What does that mean? They get permanent U.S. residents who get naturalized American citizenship in five years. All they got to do is be good. And in five years, you're going to be naturalized as a citizen. That's what Joe Biden is trying to get done today. Senate Republicans like Lindsey Graham, Roy Blunt, Lisa Murkowski, as well as House Republicans, Adam Kinzinger, Marionette Miller-Meeks, Fred Upton, Peter Meyer, Brian Fitzpatrick, Jennifer Aiden, Gonzalez Colon, and John Curtis have joined Biden and Democrats to push this through. Now, what's in his funding package? Uh, a couple of paragraphs for you. Notwithstanding any other provision of law, an Afghan national is hereafter eligible to apply for adjustment of status as described in subsection B if the Afghan national, one, was paroled into the U.S. under section 212D5 of the Immigration and Nationality Act, which is 8 
USC 1182D paragraph 5 between July 31 of 2021 and September 30th of 2023. You got that? Not this year. Between July 31st, 2021 and September 30th of 2023. In other words, they can still come in. Number two, successfully completed background checks and screening in accordance with the policies and procedures put in place as part of Operation Allies Welcome or any predecessor or successor operation or equivalent background checks and screening. In other words, we don't have to have known who they were when they got on the plane. We put them here. When they got here, we, we don't have to know who they are because that last sentence or just have a equivalent background check and screening. Do you trust Joe Biden <laughs> to determine what an equivalent background check or screening is? Let me define that for you. All you do is you pat somebody on the back and say, come on in, you look like a good guy. Under this deal, if it goes through, green cards for Afghans will be available even as federal investigators and even whistleblowers have alleged enormous fraud and abuse along with failed vetting procedures in this massive Afghan resettlement operation. Nobody in the mainstream media is talking about it. Can you figure out why? (laughs) Most recently, DHS Inspector General issued a bombshell report detailing how Biden brought Afghans to the U.S. who were not fully vetted and may and even probably pose a risk to national security. Two Afghans, just as an example were resettled in American communities by the Biden administration who were later found to be, you know, national security threats. And uh, they had ties to terrorist and terrorism. One of those Afghans had already been deported once while DHS officials said the other is in deportation proceedings now. Two. We found two. Two. Out of how many? What's the number? 72,000. Oh my gosh. Similarly, Department of Defense Inspector General issued a report showing Biden's agencies failed to vet Afghans arriving in the U.S. and that about 50 Afghans were flagged for significant security concerns after their resettlement. These are people we were told where they were cleared before their feet ever set foot on U.S. soil. Most of the unvetted Afghans flagged for terrorism ties, the report states, have since disappeared into American communities. The report noted that as of September 17th of 2021, only three of 31 flagged with specific derogatory information could even be located. Only three. In addition, one Project Veritas report alleges the Biden administration resettled Afghans listed on the governor's government's terrorism watch list in communities across the nation. In August, a federal whistleblower came forward to allege 
that the Biden administration resettled nearly 400 Afghans in American communities who are listed in federal databases even before they were resettled. 400! And they're tagged as potential threats to national security. Well, Dan, you don't need to worry about that. We're the federal government. We know we've got these people, you know, 400 of them. We're watching them. We're watching them. We're the government. We see everything. We know everything everybody does. After the fact, Despite these allegations, Biden has imposed policies to even loosen their vetting standards. They announced that Afghans who provided limited material support to terrorist organizations, they still qualify for resettlement in American communities. Wow! This is the greatest nation on the planet We are blessed. We are all honored to have been born here or have immigrated here legally. We support this nation. We believe in everything it stands for. We just wish we had a president of the United States and his administration and everybody in it from top to bottom. They felt the same way we do. They want to and they will enforce the rule of law. At least they'll say they want to do it. They're just not going to do it. Their actions speak way more than what their oaths of office that they took speak to me. Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gompertz from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough Jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the french fries... Bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy. The white, round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks? Fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. (gasps) We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. (laughs) Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. When a governor can tell a president, no rally in my state, it's time for some definitive truth. 
Here with the goods, again, Dan Newman. I wish all we had to worry about was some governor telling some politician, no, nah, you can't rally in my state. Of course, that was in reference to uh, the former president, Donald Trump, when he was holding his MAGA rallies. Did you ever attend one of those MAGA rallies so far? Does your mama know you went? <laughs> Do your local cops know that you went? I got to be honest with you. I went. Now, there was no um, there was no register that had my name on it, but you and I both know that everybody through video, uh, the ability to tell people's identity in video stuff, you know, every one of us that went to a MAGA rally somewhere deep down in the archives of federal records, there's a, there's a little piece of storage in a computer that's got your picture and your name on it. They know that you were at a MAGA rally and we know what MAGA people are. The scourge of the earth, terrorist, the most important and dangerous element in the United States of America. That's according to many people, many people who are thumbing their noses every day at law enforcement. Take, for instance, somebody like the mayor of Illinois, excuse me, the governor of Illinois, Governor J.B. Pritzker, a Democrat. Listen to what this crazy state legislature and governor have done that. A brand new law. They did it legally. They put a bill together. And then they passed it in both houses of the Illinois state rep- uh, representative, whatever they call their, uh, their government. It's different from state to state. But this new law abolishes bail across the state. And what does that mean, Dan? If you commit a crime, you get arrested, you go to jail, you have to appear normally. You have to appear before a a judge who uh, sets a dollar amount that you have to post before you can be released in anticipation of your later trial. I mean, that sounds fair and reasonable, doesn't it? Well, these humanitarian leftists You know, the ones that scream, defund the police, defund the police, and then a year or two later when they're running for a re-election or running for office, they've tried and been successful. They think it bearing all the footage, all of the writings in which they hollered, we hate the police, defund the police, so they could get elected. And then there's a picture of Governor J.B. Pritzker with his closed fist, arm, hand in the air, And he was one of the original defund the police. And what he did when he signed this Illinois law into effect, what he did, he's putting every lawbreaker, every criminal lawbreaker that gets arrested for doing everything shy of first-degree murder, second-degree murder, no bail, no bail. And everybody down from that, no bail. You hear what happens every weekend in just Chicago. Can you imagine 
What kind of deterrence is there in law if there's no penalty you pay? Do you think these people are going to, of course they're going to say, here, where do I sign to say I'm going to return on my court date whenever that is? You think they're all going to show back up? So beginning January 1st, Illinois will become the first state in the nation to have eliminated cash bail, even for some of the most violent crimes. I'm going to give you the list of them in a second. As a result, local district attorneys say they're going to be forced to free thousands of suspects accused of crimes like murder and kidnapping. Now, what does that mean? January 1st, this law goes into effect. All those people, those lawbreakers, all the way up to second degree murder charges that are being held on bond, they have to open the jails and let them go. In Winnebago County, Illinois alone, the DA estimates 400 charged criminals will be freed from jail despite their being accused of violent crimes. In Will County, Illinois, 640 charged criminals will be freed from jail, including 60 of them accused of second-degree murder. Here are the violent crimes for which bail is going to be abolished next year. Second-degree murder, drug-induced homicide, kidnapping, robbery, burglary, aggravated battery, nearly all drug offenses, aggravated DUI, aggravated fleeing, arson, intimidation, threatening a public official. All of those, you do the crime, you don't even have to go to jail and wait for somebody to post some bail. You go sign up. Sign here, sir. You make sure now when you get your court date, you got a promise you're going to return to be tried. Anyone sitting in jail right now with all these pending charges, they're going to be let out. The gates are open and they're going to be let out onto the streets in seconds. This new law even allows suspects accused of domestic violence to be released from jail after just 24 to 48 hours. If prosecutors can't prove that the suspect is a direct threat to one or more people, they're going to be released from jail with no bail. Will County DA Jim Glasgow, and he's a Democrat, he said it will destroy the state of Illinois. Winnebago County DA Jay Hanley, also a Democrat, said that under the new law, he'll be forced to free domestic abusers who ultimately murdered their wives. Imagine the defendant who murdered his wife to whom he no longer poses a threat. (laughs) I mean, think about it. He murdered his wife. He's not a threat to her anymore. Is going to be released because of this ridiculous limited legal standard. Similar laws, though not fully abolishing cash bail, have been implemented in states like New York and have coincided with surges in violent crime. Newly released New York Police Department data revealed that suspects freed from jail, thanks to the no-bail law, were rearrested for other crimes at rapid rates, more rapid than ever before. Ten suspects, for instance, have been arrested nearly five hundred times in the last couple of years and most remain released from jail without bail. 
That's in New York. What are you going to expect happening <laughs> in Illinois? What about in Chicago? What's going to happen there? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. So let's pause for a second. Let me take a breath. You think I'm stirred up about this stuff today? You know, the honor piece of what happened and what is going on over in the UK, it's very, very important for all of us. It's important for us here, not so much because she wasn't, Queen Elizabeth wasn't our queen. She was queen of the UK. And she had direct ties to pretty much every resident, every citizen over there. I get that. But it's a lesson for all of us. And I think we should, even in our own businesses, our own families, our own homes, we all need to address that and just pay some attention to that. There are people in our lives to which we give honor just not because they've necessarily earned it, but because that's what we do. We honor people. We honor authority figures in our lives just because of who they are, not necessarily for what they've done. And in spite of all of that, we get to talk, we have to talk about this other stuff. And it's just not cool. It's not fun. But this is in the shadow of the 9-11 21st anniversary of that horror that killed almost 3,000 Americans in one day in New York, in Washington, D.C., and in a field in Pennsylvania. And it's an important thing. It really is. This is one of those things, kind of like Pearl Harbor. I mean, we remember bad things that happen at a national level, don't we? Well, not so much 9-11. Here are a few college students that were asked about their understanding, their memory, or their knowledge about 9-11. I, uh, I think you're going to agree they don't quite have it right. Hey guys, it's Kara Zupkis with Young America's Foundation. As the 21st anniversary of the 9-11 terrorist attacks approaches, we're here at George Mason University where we're talking to students to see just how much they know about what actually happened on September 11th and if they think that their schools are doing a good enough job of teaching what happened on that tragic day. So do you know what major anniversary is coming up this weekend? I do not know. Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I am definitely not really sure what's going on this weekend. I have no idea. Uh, this coming weekend, not Labor Day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do not. I do not. No. Not off the top of my head. No, I'm not aware. No, we do not <laughs> no. personally. Nope. Who attacked us on 9-11? Who attacked us? Um, what's the group called? ISIS. Um, ISIS, yeah. <laughs> A terrorist? I don't know the exact name. I forgot. Okay. Um... I don't want to say the wrong Iraq, Afghanistan. It was, uh, I believe, um, a group of terrorists that hijacked a few planes, flew them into the Twin Towers. Osama bin Laden. It was the terrorist group, yeah. Terrorists. Okay. And do you know like what terrorist group? Not specifically. Yeah. Do no. I, hold on, I just gotta think. One second. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I did know. I did. We were taught this. Do you know who attacked us on 9/11? Uh, very loosely, not really. Oh my god, I'm blanking on Osama bin Laden and the yeah. terrorist group. Yeah, it's a terrorist yeah. group, I just can't remember. Do you know why they attacked us? Like, what was their reasoning for attacking us? I don't know 
necessarily the reason. I mean, they're just considered a terrorist group. I guess that's all we really have on that. Uh, I personally have no idea. Was it a retaliation of someone who was president at the time, like Bush? Revenge. For? I don't know, the war they had back then. I guess to terrorize, I don't know, I guess. Probably not. We try to bring our, our country down, I guess. Because one of the reasons for that, trying to cause chaos. I wasn't born then. I don't know. I really don't know. It was uh, kind of a, what's it called? They're trying to uh, save kind of moral morals and everything, so something like that. <laughs> we believe over uh, wars um, and things that uh, people had going on between the both countries. I don't know. I know they were just like extremists or something about the government. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that schools, generally speaking, are doing a good enough job of teaching students about the importance of this anniversary and the significance of what happened that day? Um, not really. I remember only being taught about it twice, once in like fifth grade, the second time in ninth grade. And since then, I haven't really heard much at all about it. So, uh, yeah, I feel like um, you can see I, I forgot everything. So I, I, they probably should, you know, teach just a little bit more about uh, what happened and why it's so important. I think it for sure can be improved on. I think it's just like taught as it happened and we should just know that it happened which is so unfortunate like right now like i can't give you a full-on answer about the event which is honestly quite tragic they don't really teach about it and like like doing this interview kind of like shows me like how little i actually knew about it it's kind of scary because it was such like a huge event that still is affecting the u.s i suppose not given i don't know so <laughs> i guess not i personally don't think so because I have no idea really the reasoning behind it. Uh, I haven't really heard of it much outside of like the anniversary of 9-11. So I feel like high schools aren't really doing much to educate the students. I kind of think there's a big issue of it becoming like moral panic in a way to marginalize a group of people. I don't believe so. We are currently too focused about the um, political correctness. Political correctness, you can't diminish anybody. Doesn't matter who it is, unless, of course, they're MAGA people. Crazy. Donald Trump voters and supporters. Those are the scum of the earth, and we need to eradicate them. I'm not exaggerating. There are people that actually feel that way. Wow. And, of course, what we do, George H.W. Bush? Nope, George W. Jr., Bush 43, he got up, remember, on that pile of rubble, made a very famous speech on a bullhorn. And we're going to go after, we're going to find those terrorists that knocked these towers down in the Pentagon and then had to be crashed into a field in Pennsylvania to keep from going and hitting the White House. That's where that one that crashed, that's where they think it was heading to get the White House. So we got to go after him, and he did. He started a war with Iraq, a war with Iraq. Why did we go to war with Iraq over the Twin Towers? Well, all those 19 terrorists, all 19, these were Iraqi terrorists. They, you know, we, we had all the facts or whatever. How many of the 19 terrorists were from Iraq? Do you know? None. 
the leader, the guy that drove, not drove, but flew the first plane into the tower, Twin Tower, Mohammed Atta, he was Egyptian. Now, they were all Islamic terrorists, no question about it. But that's not a country, everybody is a terrorist only in the nation of Iraq. They're terrorists all over in every country on the planet. But yet, Republicans, MAGA people, none of those people from Afghanistan that we promised the American population, we knew everything about every one of them, they wouldn't step a foot on American soil unless we knew who they were and had verified they had no ties to terrorism or terrorist. They were good people. And now we're finding out thousands of them came. We didn't get them vetted like the president said, guaranteed that was going to happen. And of course, he's Joe Biden. That means that everything he says is truthful, is honest, and that's the way it's going to be. Why? Just because Joe said it. He said all that. It didn't happen that way, did it? Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high-fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. The I'm crazy hungry, so she's got to be too. Slide through the Mickey D's drive-thru to get a Big Mac. Right after I order her quarter pounder with cheese, because I don't know everything, but I do know what my girl's feeling hangry meal. Get it at McDonald's when you buy one of your faves, like the Big Mac, quarter pounded with cheese, 10-piece chicken McNuggets, or filet of fish, and get another for just a dollar. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid on item of equal or lesser value. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from the Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. Now, we're not through talking about um, the immigration stuff because it's it's a little wider than um, most people want to think about or talk about. And all of this, if you'll stop just for a moment and ask the question, why? Ask the question, why? Why is our federal government welcoming anybody, pretty much, and everybody that wants to come into the United States, even knowing that we don't know who they are. 
and we don't care to know who they are. That's unimportant to Joe Biden, who lives with uh, 24-7 armed security in every square foot in which he walks. That's no big deal. He's protected, or these these, uh, members of Congress, these defund the police people, and we find out that they're spending tens of thousands of campaign dollars that they get from campaign contributors to help them win their elections. They're not telling anybody, hey, I need you to give me money in my campaign because I've got to pri- I've got to buy private security, armed security that you can't afford. And meanwhile, I'm going to be telling people we got to defund the police. This is the insanity in which we find ourselves. These people are as two-faced as any kid that you ever knew, any girl that you ever knew in high school that thought she was wonderful and acted like she was wonderful to your face, but she stabbed you in the back. That's what's happening in people that are governing us. It's become really, really serious. And all we can get up and gripe about is those cops that are killing people of color. Don't look at the facts. Don't look at the statistics. Just listen to the narrative that we create, and it's supposed to get, and it's very successful at getting people to hate law enforcement officials. Who in their right mind wants to become a cop anymore? You're going to be demeaned just because of the job you have. They don't give a rip who you are. Because you're a cop, you're a bad person. Can you believe we're living in that world? And remember, two election cycles ago, we began to wave the banner, George Soros is funding all of these anti-law district attorneys that are running for local positions around the nation. you got to be careful. Why is he doing that? And what's going to happen? They're the ones that sent the cry out. And all of these people, many of them marginally illegal people, they hate law enforcement and they've tried and they finally found a way to demean anybody that supports the rule of law. And what's the natural byproduct of that? Lawlessness. You think it's bad now. You just wait and see what happens in these big cities. Just wait and watch and see what happens around Illinois. People are already, businesses, major corporations, they're moving operations. People are flooding out of the state of Illinois in anticipation of this no-bail thing and these thousands of criminals that are going to be put on the streets January 1. People that have been charged with everything from second-degree murder on down, they won't have to post bail anymore. This is just insane. Now, our concentration, of course, is on the migrant situation here, as it should be. But let me ask you this. Have you wondered, now we've got billions of tax dollars that the American people are spending for every part of this illegal immigration thing, especially at our southern border. Where's all the money going? Have you thought about that? Of course, Settling these these uh, illegals, it costs money. They've got to eat. They've got to have health care. 
Uh, they have to have clothes. They've got to have a place to live, a place to stay. And who's paying for all of that? Well, the United States taxpayer. Well, who's getting all that money? Hmm. You don't think there's one person down at the southern border that gets all the bills and they sit there and pay all the bills. Here's an invoice. We got to send this to here. You, you don't think that's actually happening. Oh, my gosh. Follow the money. I've always told you that. Follow the money. So the federal government's not doing all this stuff down there. They want us to think they are, but they're not. So who's doing it all? NGOs, non-governmental organizations. These are, in some cases, not-for-profits, people that are in helping other people for the right reasons. Some of them are, but many, many more are not. I'll never forget this. The first year of the rampant illegal immigration that I witnessed, there was a company that was hired, and this company specialized in providing emergency hotel rooms for these illegal immigrants. And they got a massive sum of money. It was tens of millions of dollars to do this deal, only to find out they got the money. But the NGO that was spreading these, supposedly spreading these illegals out and registering them and getting them into these hotels, they weren't doing the job because they weren't necessary at the time. And that major company got all of that money and they didn't break any laws doing it. The Catholic Church, since 2012, I know that's 10 years ago, but the Catholic Church has received $1.6 billion in U.S. contracts regarding all this since 2012. Catholic Church has become one of the largest recipients of the federal dollars in America. The church itself and related Catholic charities and schools have collected about $1.6 billion since 2012 in contracts and grants in a kind of strange, far-reaching relationship that includes things like school lunches for grammar school students, contracts across the globe to take care of the poor and the needy at the expense of the American taxpayer. You remember former Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan of New York? Back in 1980, very famously, he noted that the government funded 50% of Catholic Charities' budget, commenting private institutions really aren't private anymore. Now, today, those estimates remain about the same, according to Leslie Linkowski, who served as the chief executive officer of the Corporation for National and Community Services under W. George W. Bush, Bush 43. Catholic Charities USA the largest charitable organization run by the church gets about 65% of its annual budget from state and federal governments, principally federal governments, making it an arm of the federal welfare state. And think about in that context, how much money is being spent at the Southern border. And it sounds and looks like it's being spent on these very worthy causes 
We have no checks and balances on that. There's nobody that is watching the money as it goes out the door, making sure that it's going, the right amount of money is going per contracts, per grants, as it's supposed to. Dollars and cents to this administration is nothing but just flitting stuff that is necessary to throw at people to get whatever it is you want them to do for you to get it done. No checks and balances. Just spend, spend, spend. The Attorney General of Texas, he states that illegal immigration, now remember who's over that, federal government, solely. Federal government's responsible for it. American taxpayers, solely. Texas, the people of Texas, are spending $85 million a year on illegal immigrants and illegal immigrants issues that the feds don't pick up, but they cost, and the people of Texas are getting stuck with it. I understand why Greg Abbott and Ducey, the government of uh, the governor of Arizona, I understand why they're sending these migrants on these buses to these cities around the nation just to wake everybody up to the fact that illegal immigration is turning every city into a sanctuary city around the United States. So what are the, all the numbers? What's the latest on all this stuff? The mayor of Washington, D.C. declared a public health emergency in response to the thousands of migrants arriving in the nation's capital by bus from Arizona and our state right here in Texas. Just this afternoon, Texas Governor Greg Abbott said the state has bused more than 10,000 migrants to sanctuary cities. That breaks down to more than 7,900 to the nation's capital since April and more than 2,200 to New York City since August. 300 to Chicago. KXAN's Anna Warnicke has reaction from lawmakers in D.C. This week, the mayor of Washington, D.C. declared a state of emergency in the nation's capital as busloads of migrants from Texas keep coming. We are not responsible for a broken immigration system. Texas and Arizona report that approximately 9,400 people have been bused to D.C. since April. Texas Republican Senator Ted Cruz defended the decision, saying the border communities can't handle the surge of migrants arriving every day. You go to South Texas, the jails are full, the hospitals are full, the schools are overflowing, disease is rising, crime is rising. The emergency declaration in the district allows the city to establish an office to provide services to the incoming migrants with a $10 million investment. All human beings need to be treated with dignity and frankly, no disgusting racist stunt by the Texas governor should stop us from doing just that. Democrats criticized Texas Governor Greg Abbott for sending the buses in the first place. I think the motivation is really ugly. But Texas Republican Senator John Cornyn says D.C. is only seeing a fraction of what border communities are faced with every day. He's calling on the White House to respond. I think if that's what it takes to get the attention of the mayors of those cities who can then hopefully get the attention of President Biden and his administration, that it's worth it. In Washington, I'm Anna Warnicke. 
We reported earlier this week that Texas has spent more than $14 million sending buses of migrants to East Coast sanctuary cities. That is according to documents from the Texas Division of Emergency Management. Now the math works out to be about $1,700 per migrant. Those records also show the most expensive part of the trips are security personnel. Irving-based wind transportation charged TDEM more than $61,000 for just the security guards on May 20th, a day when 19 migrants arrived at the nation's capital. Now, don't diminish this thing. and We're, we're going to finish this up right now. I'm going to give you the last bit of news, last statement on this immigration issue. It's critical. We spent better part of an hour and 15 minutes talking about it just to make sure you understand it's not just coming across our southern border. We, our president, brought thousands of additional illegals, many of which are known to be affiliated with or in some way in contact with terrorist and terrorism. We're bringing them in. And it's happening every day. And I don't see it stopping in the foreseeable future. There's nothing we can do other than make a bunch of noise. I just wanted to make sure you understand what is going on and why it's going on and what it costs. Just to give you an example, Texas Department of Safety, TDS, two years, 2018-2019, in Texas alone, happening to only Texans, there were 600,000 criminal acts committed against Texans by illegal immigrants in two years. 600,000. I don't know about you. That sounds like a pretty big deal to me. And I think it should be to everybody. Let's fast forward to something else going on that I think is pretty important. The Pentagon, the Pentagon informed us just a couple of days ago, it has stopped delivering fifth-generation F-35 fighter jets because they found a component used in the plane's engine, and it was made, that part in that plane's engine was made in China. Lockheed Martin, which is the U.S. company that builds those F-35s, said that the component is a magnet on the plane's turbo machine pumps manufactured by U.S. aerospace parts maker Honeywell International. The defense company said the magnet was made with a cobalt and samarium alloy that comes from China. A turbo machine is a part of what Lockheed Martin calls the F-35 aircraft's integrated power package, which provides electrical power to start the plane's engine. Pretty important piece, I would think. On that day, September 7th, Russell Gomery, spokesperson of the F-35 Lightning II Joint Program Office, a Pentagon agency, told media outlets that the office became aware of the alloy's origin late last month and the issue is potentially in non-compliance with federal defense acquisition regulations. The F-35 JPO temporarily paused the acceptance of new F-35 aircraft to ensure the F-35 program's compliance, he said. But, he said the magnet in question hasn't resulted in any security risk. We've confirmed 
The magnet does not transmit information or harm the integrity of the aircraft, and there are no performance, quality, safety, or security risks associated with this issue, and flight operations for the F-35 and service fleet will continue as normal. That sounds so comforting to me. I just feel really good about it. Makes me wonder, how many other Chinese parts are there on F-35s that we don't know about, some of which might be communicating? Oh, that's, that's, you're, you're just a conspiracy theorist, Dan. There is no substance there, yeah, like. You remember that big town, I forget what it was, maybe Trenton, New Jersey, that they bought a fleet, I mean a large fleet, of pieces of equipment, drones that were manufactured in China. They knew they were manufactured in China when they bought them, only to find out after they were put in service and had been for months that those drones, when they were taking video of things on the ground, which is what they do, they were transmitting all of that video to China. Great intentions, and we know we're good people. We understand what's going on out there. We're not going to get involved in anything like that. All of a sudden, our number one fighter jet, probably the number one fighter jet in world history, the (laughs) F-35, the magnet that starts the motor (laughs) is made in China. (laughs) Uh, You can't make this stuff up, folks. You just can't do it. We've got some nasty COVID-19 news. I don't want to be the bearer bat. It's a brand new week. We're, We're in a, I mean, we're almost halfway through the month of September, but it's a great month. Football's back, college football, NFL football. Did you watch any NFL football yesterday? Oh, my gosh. There were some wild games. I have a, uh, he calls himself my nephew that plays for the Cincinnati Bengals, punt returner, wide receiver, Trent Taylor. And he got his hands on the football several times yesterday. And uh, that game, it was just crazy. Nobody could do anything right. I mean, I understand, you know, football's a game. And especially at that level, national football, it's very sophisticated, very complicated, lots of moving parts, and things can go wrong, but they just couldn't get their stuff together. And then what about last night, the Cowboys and the GOAT, Tampa Bay? I mean, Dallas couldn't score a touchdown. And I mean, for the first half, I, I'm, I'm trying to think if there was any touchdown scored at all, it was all field goals, maybe one by Tampa. I haven't seen this before. Normally, you have the regular teams or pretty much any team. They're getting after it, you know, and they come out. They're barn burners. It looks to me like the games that I looked in on, that they a little bit slow getting their stuff together. Now, what does that have to do with the COVID-19 stuff? It has nothing to do with it at all, but it's something about COVID-19 that you need to know about. I've got that next. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... 
Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. Square Packages, the packaging specialists, are proud to present a box on both your houses. The untold story of the invention of the box and the family rivalry that nearly destroyed it. It's a tale about opening your heart, finding acceptance, and inventing the most efficient means of shipping and packaging that mankind has ever known. Proving that to find what's in your soul, you have to look outside the box and into another box, which is a house your home. And that truly is the greatest box of all. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 for this once-in-a-week-time television event, A Box on Both Your Houses, presented by Square Packages, the packaging specialists. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Before I get into this one piece about COVID-19, I want to point you to our front page story today at truthnewsnet.org. It's titled is There's More to COVID-19 Insanity Than We've Been Told. And it includes a lot of really good information. It's lengthy, but it's full of facts, statistics, and it brings more information than we, um, we've really known. Uh, like we have discovered factually, lockdowns were blamed for excess deaths and cardiovascular problems have killed in record numbers of people that have been vaccinated. And it goes into some of the stuff that the CDC has been doing. They've been scrubbing death records. And uh, we do a deep dive into U.S. death statistics that are related to COVID-19. So make sure you check it out at truthnewsnet.org. Well, guess what? Scientists in Israel are claiming they may have found some antibodies that can fight all known COVID-19 strains. Now, what does that mean? Well, it would eliminate the need for these vaccine booster shots. It's a peer-reviewed study, which means it's been through the whole process. It was led by Tel Aviv University researcher Dr. Natalia Frund and published in Nature's Communications Biology section. It found that antibodies that could be used to concoct an antibody infusion are existent in people who have gotten COVID-19. Since the start of the pandemic, some monoclonal antibody treatments have been approved and even used to treat COVID-19 patients with severe symptoms. A preliminary study that was carried out by Frund's team in October two years ago, sequence B immune system cells from Israeli patients who recovered 
from the very first COVID-19 strain. Then they isolated nine antibodies that the patients produced, of which two have been found to show efficacy in neutralizing other COVID-19 variants. Those include Omicron and Delta. Now, why didn't we hear about this earlier? Why just now? It's peer-reviewed, so that means it's been going on for months and months, maybe even more than a year. In the previous study, the doctor said, we showed that the various antibodies that are formed in response to infection with the, number one, the original virus, are directed against different sites of the virus. The most effective antibodies were those that bound to the virus's spike protein in the same place where spike binds the cellular receptor ACE2. Ask getting into the weeds. Let's just get on with this. The very first antibody neutralized Omicron with a 92% efficacy, neutralized Delta at 90%. The second antibody, meanwhile, neutralized Delta at a 97% rate, and Omicron with a rate of 84%. Those are pretty good odds. So after the antibodies were cloned at the Tel Aviv University Laboratory, they were used to test against live viruses in lab cultures at research facilities in California and Israel. The results, identical and equally encouraging in both texts. About a week ago, the FDA amended the emergency use authorization to include updated booster doses of the Pfizer and Moderna COVID-19 vaccines. It's the first time updated COVID booster shots have been given emergency use authorization so far in the U.S. So why would they do that? Why would they at this point, why would they make it an emergency and put it in an emergency use authorization? Think about that for a second. The EUA, what does that mean? What happens then? Why would the FDA get into that? Well, there's only one reason. When any medicine is labeled by the FDA as part of usage approved under an emergency use authorization, nobody can sue anybody that's involved in the development of the medicine at issue or any of the treatments that happen under using any of these medications under that EUA, they're all indemnified from any liability. No doctors, no hospitals, no lab technicians, no drug companies can be held accountable for anything bad that happens as a result of these vaccines. Follow the money. Frund argued it's more prudent to invest in antibody treatment regimens because studies have shown that COVID-19 antibodies, including those from vaccines, by the way, significantly wane after about 90 days. Dr. Frund said, in our view, targeted treatment with antibodies and their delivery to the body in high concentrations can serve as an effective substitute for repeated boosters, especially for at-risk populations. Now, who are those? It'd be people overweight, people with cardiac situations. 
It can serve as an effective substitute for reputed boosters, especially for at-risk populations and those with weakened immune systems. COVID-19 infection can cause serious illness. We know that. Providing antibodies in the first days following infection can stop the spread of the virus. It is therefore, Dr. Frunz said, possible that by using effective antibody treatment, we will not have to provide booster doses to the entire population every time there is a new variant. How about that? You heard that plastered all over the news over the weekend, didn't you? (laughs) No, we didn't. Well, there's other stuff going on right now. Real simple things like a sex sting, a sex sting operation in Florida. Not a real simple deal. Just, you know, it's not complicated, but, you know, you just got to find them. And, well, it led to 160 arrests of sex workers and those who solicit their services. Now, this is coming from a top cop from Georgia. The Polk County Sheriff's Office announced on Friday the week-long sting called Operation Fall Hall 2 was designed to find victims of sex trafficking. The Sheriff's Office said investigators discovered at least two sex trafficking victims during the operation. There could potentially be more. Our goal the chief said, is to start services the moment they're taken into custody. Treat them as what they are, victims, not as suspects in a criminal event. So among those arrested were two Disney employees, a state corrections officer, several teachers, and a deputy police chief from Georgia. Cameron Burke was a high school IT expert from the city of Osea, who was arrested for sexually assaulting a 15-year-old student. He was released on bond, was busted during this sting for soliciting a prostitute. Carlos Gonzalez, an Osceola County, Florida math teacher, and John Layton, an Orange County physical education teacher, were also arrested. Judd said Jason DePrima, deputy police chief of the Cartersville Police Department in Georgia, is no longer a police officer. The Cartersville Police Department said in a press release that DePrima had resigned from his post Thursday. They said they had previously placed him on administrative leave pending an internal investigation. DePrima was arrested for soliciting another for prostitution, lewdness, or assignation. Eh, no big deal, huh? Just 160 arrests across the state of Florida, and it included people in law enforcement, even from the state of Georgia. Wow. So what haven't we talked about today? We haven't talked about the M word. What's the M word? M as in mother. Mar-a-Lago. We hadn't talked about it. Nobody talked about it over the weekend. It's been relatively quiet. Don't think just because there's nothing big in the news about that or anything else that there's nothing going on, because it really is. This thing at Mar-a-Lago that happened, I think it's going to almost be exactly like the Russia collusion story. 
as time went on, we learned more and more and more about the Russia collusion story and all of the uproar that we heard from the very beginning. It was the loudest at the beginning, I thought, but it got even louder. It doesn't necessarily mean because something's screamed about more loudly than other things that one is more important, more one is uh, more critical than the other. It just means whoever the mainstream media are talking about and looking at, whichever one of them, that's the one that's going to be considered to be the most important. So all we hear is Donald Trump, he's got all these killer documents, and he even had nuclear documents that he took illegally. What would this president have a nuclear document for anyway? He's, he's an imbecile. Everybody knows that. He's an orange man. He's a billionaire entrepreneur. He doesn't know anything about politics. There's more to this Mar-a-Lago thing than you or I can even imagine. And we're going to begin to see little bits come out every day that are proving there's more and more going on. And sadly, in some cases, fingers are pointing at the Department of Justice. And who runs the Department of Justice? That would be the Attorney General Merrick Garland. So during an appearance on Hannity, Senator Josh Hawley called out the FBI and the DOJ for abusing the law and legal procedures for the sake of attacking their political opponents. And he included now, he included efforts by the FBI to shield embattled Hunter Biden, son of President Joe Biden. Hawley said if A.G. Merrick Garland was not willing to resign his post, he should be removed from office. So I don't have the recording of the uh, back and forth between Sean Hannity and Senator Hawley. I'm, I'm just going to read these segments to you. Hannity said this, let me ask you, are these whistleblowers talking about people within the FBI protecting the Biden family, more specifically Hunter Biden and the information on his laptop? Are these whistleblowers also talking about the large extent of investigation into parents that speak out at school board meetings? Or these whistleblowers out there talking about how if there's anything, Donald Trump, there's a separate system of justice in the DOJ? Are they saying those things? Senator Hawley replied, I think we're seeing all of the above, Sean. And I can just tell you from the whistleblowers that I've seen from Senator Grassley, who have come to him about how the FBI is being abused, how this Justice Department is using it to go after Trump, but they're using it to try to shield Hunter Biden. We've had whistleblowers come forward and say the Biden administration lied about the Afghan refugees, that we actually have hundreds, hundreds of potential terrorists in this country because they didn't vet those Afghan refugees. They brought them into the country and just released them. We've had whistleblowers come forward about how DHS lied about the disinformation board. It's across the board, Sean. I mean, we're seeing this in all the different agencies. And the consistent theme is the Biden people are abusing the law. They're abusing the procedures. They're doing it to go after their political opponents. They're doing it to try to cover their own tracks. And it's wrong. Hannity said, do you think Director Ray 
the FBI and do you think the Attorney General are up to their jobs? Hawley said, no, no, they both, neither of them are. Both of them should go. They should both have resigned a long time ago. They should have been fired. And as to the Attorney General, I believe that he should be removed if he will not step down. That's Senator Josh Hawley talking about FBI Director Christopher Wray and, of course, Attorney General Merrick Garland. Golly, we've got so much, there's so much important stuff going on now. I mean, so many things, I just, we run out of time. Let's see, we've got some other things that we need to talk about. Let's talk about the Hunter Biden mess. Hunter Biden, you you know there's this movie out, I forget the name of it, what is it? My Son, Hunter Biden, something like that. I've got the movie, somebody sent it to me. Uh, It's not in uh, movie theaters it's, it's a documentary. I'm not even sure who all is involved in its production. I think Breitbart News has something to do with it, but everybody I've talked to said it is a blockbuster, and it is showing there's a whole lot of people out there, more than we thought of, a whole lot of people out there that were, are, were and are involved in the Hunter Biden story and all of the massive wrongdoing that happened. And it is massive. We have maintained for years now that it's out there. It happened. It's critical. It's big. And we're finding out almost daily it's bigger than we thought it was. So here's a question. All of this visitation that now President Biden was doing, flying on Air Force Two around the world, meeting with all these people, uh, people in Ukraine, people in China, people in Moscow. Hunter Biden was on a lot of those trips on Air Force Two. We're finding out now, maybe, just maybe, the Obama administration was up in all of this in Hunter Biden's business. With us now, New York Post columnist John Levine. John, a pleasure to have you on again. It's good to see you. Okay, Fox Digital is reporting this. Emails show Hunter Biden said he would be happy to introduce his business associates to top Chinese Communist Party officials after they sat together at Hunter's table at a 2013 dinner in Beijing, China, for his father, then Vice President Biden. Again, John, more detail on exploiting the Obama White House to make money. Right. Well, you know, Liz, this just shows, again, Hunter Biden trying to sell his official access and to make money off his official access. He was seated at a dinner uh, allegedly next to a man named Tung Chi Hua, the former Communist Party boss of Hong Kong, a very, very senior government official in China. And then right after the dinner, uh, he gets an email from his business partner saying, oh, you know, hey, you, I, I see you were seated next to, you know, Mr. Tung. Is there any way you could introduce us to him? And he says, well, you know, I'm not sure it was him, but, you know, I'm happy to oblige any way that I can. And it's just, why was he at this dinner? He wasn't a government official. He, 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 he's not a China expert, per se. It's, there's no real reason for him but to be there. why didn't President Obama say something about it? Why didn't Obama officials say something about this? That's because a, he was clearly there to make money. I mean, he was, he was, Fox is reporting the emails show James Bulger, 
The nephew of Boston crime boss James Whitey Bulger asked Hunter in an email in July 2014 to introduce, uh, you know, his business partners to Tung Chi Wa. Uh, he's a top Communist Party official, to your point. And this guy reportedly sat at two state dinners at the Obama White House. Right. And I, you know, I also, I'll remind you of previous reporting from this network, uh, which talked about when uh, Hunter Biden also conveniently sat next to the number three man at the Chinese embassy. And then, a de and then next thing you know, a Democratic donor is having dinner in the Chinese embassy and Hunter is there and former Senator Ted Kaufman is, is, is giving the address. So it just, it just, it just shows more weird and illicit and, and questionable connections between Hunter and the Chinese Communist Party. And it, it, raises, it raises the specter of what will be found in an investigation should Republicans how take can back the, the House. How, how is the Obama White House okay with this? I mean, cause, because huh. Bulger's company, the Thornton Group, joined with Hunter's now defunct Rosemont Seneca on this joint venture. This is what they were talking about. A joint venture with Chinese investment firm Bullhai Capital to create BHR Partners. BHR Partners is controlled by the Bank of China. Hunter Biden had a stake in BHR. That right. raises ethical questions. So how is the Obama White House okay with all that? Right. There were there were major, major ethical failures with respect to allowing Hunter to pursue these kind of arrangements in China and all over the world. And it was either they weren't aware or they just looked the other way. But it's, it's a very good question. And I don't I don't have an answer for that right so now. So what happens to the DOJ probe of Hunter Biden? You know, it's 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 been reported that it was allegedly in a critical stage. And that was about a month ago. It's 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 hard. It's hard to see where it's going right now. I don't know that they're going to announce charges or any kind of resolution before the midterms because, you know, they generally avoid trying to do things like that. But there are questions there, too. As we know, um, the man in charge of the criminal division at the Justice Department, Nicholas McQuaid, is a very, very close former business partner of Hunter Biden's lawyer. They were both partners at Latham and Watkins just down the street here in New York. So there are questions there as well about the legitimacy of that investigation. You and I both know. There is illegality in the Hunter Biden whole situation. I mean, just beginning with what we were told from the very beginning, he was under federal investigation for tax fraud. Now, why in the heck would an investigation for tax fraud by a federal attorney in Delaware that had been going on even before uh, we heard the Hunter Biden stuff even being alleged? It was well underway. They had impaneled a grand jury even very quietly, and nothing's happened. There's been no information coming out of that investigation, not even mentioning the other things, the foreign involvement, the involvement, the potential involvement of his father, President Joe Biden, and other members of the Biden family syndicate that were literally promoting. We know it. Everybody knows it. They were promoting pay for access. You pay us money, you give us deals, I'll give you access to then Vice President of the United States and now President of the United States, Joe Biden. How much more evil is there out there? And is this going to be an ongoing thing for which the American people have no protection from? Our government, now remember, remember the Second Amendment thing that they're harping on and have been for decades, 
oh man, we're going to fight the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment doesn't give Americans the unfettered wife right to have these weapons of war and all those kinds of things. What did one of our forefathers say? I think it was Jefferson, but I'm not sure. The Second Amendment is not so uh, we can fight foreign foes to help our government if we're under attack. The Second Amendment giving Americans the right to own and bear arms is to give us some kind of protection against our government if that protection becomes necessary. Well, you can't can't even imagine a scenario in which Americans would need protection against their own government. I mean, that's not going to happen. Never has before, never will. And even Joe Biden even brought that up last week in a speech. He said, guns, these guns, AR-15s, they're not going to do you any good if our government is going to attack you. You need... F-15 fighter jets. He actually said that. In other words, he's thinking about it. Is our government coming after us? Uh, I have no idea. I think they've already got many of us and we don't even know it. We're not done. We're not near done. Don't you go anywhere. You're fighting back the tidal wave of deceit, lies, spin, and ignorance with TNN. The Truth News Network. Long live the courageous. The tenacious. The ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good. helping hand those who fall and get back up and long live the truck with the strength to overcome the will to outwork and the commitment to outlast them all ram proven to last Hey, Thirst, can I try out a few Coke summer sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? Yes. And this? Yes. And what about this? Gotcha there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. So what are we going to get into with our limited time access here? There's some stuff I think that's important. It's important enough for you to know that you need to pay close attention to these things. U.S. drug regulators are refusing to provide key analyses of a COVID-19 vaccine safety database, claiming that the factual findings cannot be separated by internal discussions that are protected by law. Now think about what that means. 
you know there's all kinds of safety testing that has got to go on for every drug that is submitted for approval by the FDA, and they're not wanting to let news agencies know what's in those vaccine safety databases. According to operating procedures that are laid out by the FDA and its partner in January of 2021 and February of 22, the FDA would perform data mining at least bi-weekly to identify adverse events reported more frequently than expected following vaxes with COVID-19 vaccines. The agency would perform the mining on data from the VAERS reporting system. So in a recent response, the FDA Records Office told one news agency that it would not provide any of the analyses, even if it was in redacted form. The agency cited an exemption of the FOIA Act that lets the government withhold interagency and intraagency memorandums and letters that would not be available by law to a party other than an agency in litigation with that agency. They pointed to the Code of Federal Regulations, which says that all communications within the executive branch, which are in written form or which are subsequently reduced to writing, may be withheld from public disclosure except that factual information, which is reasonably segregable in accordance with the rule established in Section 20.22 is available for public disclosure. It's not clear why the FDA could not produce copies of the analyses with non-factual information redacted. The news agency has appealed the determination by the records office. The FDA declined to comment, citing, oh, we can't talk about anything that's in litigation. And then there's this. Three hospitals in California are facing lawsuits alleging they treated patients with the controversial antiviral drug remdesivir without receiving informed consent using a protocol which two attorneys allege led to the wrongful death of Americans. Daniel Watkins with Watkins and Latofsky and Michael Hamilton with Hamilton and Associates filed three complaints, one against St. Agnes Medical Center, Community Regional Medical Center, and Clovis Community Medical Center in the Superior Court of California in Fresno, California last week. Clovis Medical Center, Community Regional Medical Center, and St. Agnes say they can't comment on pending litigation. The two attorneys talked about the lawsuit the day of the filing and an event called Remdesivir Death Landmark Lawsuit where they were joined by medical advocates like Dr. Peter McCullough, who you've heard here on our show, Dr. Brian Artis, Dr. Angie Farella, and Dr. Jancy Lindsay of all who have spoken out against Remdesivir. Watkins said they filed the lawsuits on the behalf of 14 Fresno area families that alleged that hospitals engaged in medical deception failed to provide informed consent in relating the potential side effects like kidney failure. And don't forget this. We have told you before, Anthony Fauci, he made, he wrote the protocols 
for the treatment of hospitalized COVID-19 patients from the very beginning. And in the protocols, which says every hospital, this is what you use to treat COVID-19 patients. These are the only things that you can use to treat COVID-19 patients. And you must use these things to treat these COVID-19 patients. One of them is remdesivir. And he made that determination using so-called findings from only two medical treatment investigations, two investigations into the efficacy of remdesivir. And in both of those trials, remdesivir failed fatally and people died. He did not bother to tell anybody what was the content of these two trials when he made that remdesivir absolutely required and necessary to treat a hospitalized patient. But guess what? Anthony Fauci, he has no liability for any of that or for anything. After all, that was all issued under emergency use authorization, and it's still under EUA. Can you believe that? I mean, our federal government, what, they've just gone absolutely bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. What's the driving force? Follow the money. Follow the money. Thank you for being here. Don't forget Tuesday in our second hour, Steve is going to be with us. DNS, Dan and Steve, and we talk about the biggest controversies of the day. I don't know how we'll figure it out, but he'll be with us in studio tomorrow. We'll see you then. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us here every day at TNN Live. Have a good one.